Australia's one millionth best celebrant podcast, hosted by myself, Josh Withers, and Sarah Ed. Hello, morning, Sarah. everybody. It's lovely to chat again. It is only, oh, it is still morning. Yeah, I'm not really entirely sure what time it is, but that's okay. It's 10.13 a.m. on Friday the 21st of September, according to my uh, clock on my computer here. So that is when we were recording, Friday the 21st of September. Hello, everybody. I, I was so glad as we were kind of um, making a time to chat that uh, we're still in that beautiful period because there's there's the two seasons in Australia. There's 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 the beautiful season and the terrible season. And the beautiful season is when, <laughs> is when everyone on the east coast of Australia can say, hey, you want to chat at nine? And that just makes <laughs> sense to everyone. And then there's the terrible evil season where I guess it's the, where six months of the year where we all kind of you know, pay our penance for being Australians. We're like, Oh, you want to talk at nine? Is that, okay, is that eight or is that 10? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what time it is. <laughs> I, th- I have a feeling that we've had this conversation before, but I'm going to have it again. I don't know how you people who straddle New South Wales and Queensland weddings manage. In wedding we just season. break down. What you find is that at, at around <laughs> two p.m. every Saturday, um, through daylight savings time, there's a there's a there's like a almost like a church gathering of celebrants and wedding vendors on the New South Wales <laughs> Queensland border, where we're all just crying, and 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 it's it's a really emotional thing. But if like if you ever want to cite that Saturday afternoons around two p.m., who knows what time? <laughs> <laughs> and we're all just weeping. It's it's a beautiful sight. Oh, it just yeah, it fills me with dread. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's, good real, luck. it's a it's a phenomena. Anyway. It's a wedding phenomena you don't see anywhere else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> just people like, a, and they're all saying, "Look, like, where's your wedding?" They're like, I don't know when my wedding is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, craziness. Yeah, beautiful. Craziness. How you doing? You good? Anyway, so, oh, I'm good. Um, I'm coming to the end of sort of four or five weeks of manic, ridiculous, crazy activity that have been so busy that I can't breathe. And then I just looked at my calendar and the next two weeks are empty, <laughs> uh, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, there's like no meetings, no weddings, no nothing scheduled for the next two weeks. Uh, so I am panicking a little bit that somehow I've missed putting something in my calendar, even though I clearly don't do that because I'm really good at process. Uh, but it's very unusual for me to have two weeks of yeah. nothing. But I'm looking forward to it because it will mean, you know, maybe some uh, appropriate sleeping hours and maybe even some exercise and possibly nutrition. Nice. That's good. I know. It's scary, scary looking at the calendar and seeing nothing because you're, you're sure that there should be something there. Yeah, Totally. And it's just a bit frightening, but I think it's okay. I, yes. I, I don't think I've told this story before, but Britt and I um, had one of those uh, had one of those weeks where um, there was just we had nothing on. It was like a march, and we just you know magically had nothing on. So uh, Britt and I we even went um, for a bit of a holiday that week. We went for a drive along the Great Ocean Road, and uh, and it came to Saturday. Um, we both booked flights uh, for about two p.m. ish, three p.m. ish on Saturday. Uh, for Brit to go home and for me to go to Sydney because I had a wedding in Sydney on the Sunday. And so it's literally 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon in March and I'm sitting on the tarmac at Melbourne Airport and I just, I like, you just get a niggle. You're like, oh, God, imagine if I screwed this up. Like, imagine if <laughs> this was the one where, where, like, where Withers fell and, you know, he screwed up a wedding. And then the phone rings. I'm like, oh, my God, this is that. <laughs> and I, I look at it ringing and it's a number I don't know and I just answer it. Hello? And they were trying to sell me a solar system and oh. I'm like, go away. <laughs> oh. I, it has to be every celebrant's worst nightmare, yes? 
Yeah, like, oh, the worst. The the actual worst. And it's, uh, it's you know, touch wood, it hasn't happened to me yet that I've not been on time or that I've had the wrong time or whatever in my diary, but it's so easy to do. And it just, yeah, it sometimes I like do have nightmare, actual nightmares in like in the sleeping time about, you know, getting the phone call. Where are you? Uh, just not good. And then one of my friends last week, she had a funeral, um, in the afternoon at like two o'clock or something. And at 12 o'clock, she got a text message from the funeral director saying, are you here? <laughs> and she oh. was like, what? In her pajamas, you know, rings the funeral director who goes, oh, I just wanted to see if you want to have lunch. <laughs> like, are you here yet? You know, we could have lunch. I'm a bit early. She was like, oh, my God, you've just taken like 10 years off my life. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I, um, I, I've got a joke I play. Everyone everyone listening can steal this joke. This is, this is my favourite thing. This is, like, apart from being a celebrant, this is my favourite thing about being a celebrant. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... um. I, I don't get a lot of wedding planner weddings. Actually, side note, do you get like like what would be your proportion of wedding planner weddings? Like um, many? in two hundred and sixty weddings, I've worked with a wedding planner twice. Yeah, so I, I like I'm probably a little bit more, but not much more. Like no. In fact, in the last in the last twelve months, I've probably worked with more wedding planners than ever. But you know, not not many. I've probably had five or six or seven weddings with yeah. wedding planners. And 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 you know, honestly, I'm, I'm pro wedding planner. Like it's good. It just means someone else is in charge, and you know, that you know the sister isn't calling me about silly things. True. Um. Uh, but it's a wedding planner wedding. And, and, uh, I think I, I might mess the times up a little bit, so I'm just going to make them up, but it might have been a 2 p.m. ceremony. And so for a 2 p.m. ceremony, I aim to get there at 1. And I'm 15 minutes away from the venue, so it's 12.45. And, uh, and I get a phone call from her. And, th- and so this is the joke. Um, whenever they call, I go, Hey, Josh, it's so and so from XYZ wedding planning. Uh, just, uh, just checking that you're okay for the wedding this afternoon. And then I deliver. What wedding? <laughs> <laughs> no way! Or they say, it's Jack and Jill's wedding. I'm like, is that today? Oh. <laughs> That's so just good. mean. That's oh, not, the best no, thing. it's not the best thing. The poor it's... wedding planners must lose their minds. Oh, they love it. No, they, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> uh, but but I, like, a good thing she called because uh, she'd, uh, like, I, I don't know. I don't know why you would do this if you're a wedding planner because planner is literally your name. Uh, but she'd moved the ceremony half an hour earlier. Uh, and what? so I was only, I was only going to be half an hour early, which is still heaps early enough. Yeah, but, uh, but no, still. no, she has to tell you that. Yeah, I know. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so that, um, wow. so then we get to, I, I actually, I arrive and I'm, I'm a little bit flustered because I'm not as early as I'd like. And not that it matters. Like, set, setup takes five minutes. Like, it's yeah, so but easy. Still. Um, and the reason I'm an hour early is so that if something goes wrong, I'm, Correct. even if I'm running half an hour late, I'm still half an hour early. Yeah. Uh, but then ironically, there are the brides an hour late. So the ceremony <laughs> starts half an hour later than it was supposed to start. Yeah. Uh, so you know what? Like the wedding planner got what she deserved that day when I joked on her. This is true. The wedding planner phenomenon is quite interesting, I think. Um, it, it doesn't really seem to be a big thing in Australia in a kind of what I want to call an average cost wedding. I think that people who are using wedding planners are much more high-end weddings. And I also have the feeling that uh, particularly Southeast Queensland, places where there's a lot of destination weddings, people who are coming from overseas to get married here might be more keen to use a wedding planner because obviously it's easier if you're on the ground to make all the bookings. 
But totally, it's, yeah. It's really interesting to me that it, that it, I, I'm in a few Facebook groups of, uh, wedding planners from overseas and it, in America, it seems to be almost de rigueur that everybody uses a wedding planner almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's a really interesting, like, I don't really understand why, like, why there's such a difference. You know, America and Australia are two countries that are very similar in so many ways. And that's a really interesting difference for me in the wedding sphere that wedding planners are kind of, that's what you do in America. And here it's kind of, they're not really a thing. Yeah, I think it's got a lot to do with the ritual and the culture of, of weddings um, where in America it's it's much more kind of keeping up with the Joneses. Like it's very much that family affair. Um, yeah, look, a, a lot of the wedding complaints we hear about where, oh, mum's got to invite all of her friends that I don't mm. even know. Like that's much more an American thing. Yeah. Um, far less likely to happen in Australia. Like, like if – if if you were getting married tomorrow, um, like your mum, I'm sure your mum wouldn't say, "I've got to invite all my friends from work or all no. the neighbours." No, no, like it just wouldn't happen. And so, um, even like like my mum wanted to invite a childhood friend, like I uh, sorry, one of her friends who I like I knew as a child. She wanted to invite mm. her, and I'm like no, like she's cool and whatnot, but like I don't know, barely know her today. Yeah. Um. So, so the whole keeping up with the Joneses kind of edge of weddings is much, much bigger, much more normal mm. in America. The whole, you know, invite a couple of hundred people. And cause the truth is, if you're hosting an event with a hundred plus people, have an event planner. Like this yeah, isn't totally. even about weddings. Totally. Like, this is, this is just about like, like if you and I wanted to host a thing tomorrow, like, and if it was more than a hundred people, like, like I would say, I think we need a person just a planner. To, yep. Yeah. Like just to make it all happen. Yeah. Um, so that, that that's probably more of the yeah. angle. Yeah. It's pretty I don't interesting. Know. Like, like, like it's, it's definitely, it's a good idea. It's a good idea to have a wedding plan. It's just someone who thinks through all the timelines and changes the time by half an hour, even though it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and not tell the person who it's actually quite relevant for. Anyway, yeah. uh, moving right along. So, yeah. uh, so I, what have you been up to in the last few weeks? <laughs> Sarah, I have, um, I think it's actually, let me have a look at the calendar. Since we did a podcast last, I've been in um, at least two, if not three different countries. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, since, since we recorded last, um, I've had two ceremonies in Vancouver. I've had a day in San Francisco. Um, I've been on the radio live across Canada on a, on a radio show there. Um, I've, uh, God, I've had weddings right up and down the east coast of Australia and I am exhausted. I mean, I've been to Cairns twice. I've, I'm just, I'm looking, scrolling through the, through the calendar thinking, what have I done? Uh, I've been yeah. to Melbourne twice. I'm, I'm exhausted and, uh, I've got a wedding this afternoon, wedding tomorrow in Toowoomba. So wedding this afternoon on the Gold Coast, tomorrow in Toowoomba and then, um, Tomorrow I've got a few things on. I'm in Sydney for two weddings, but then after that, when when October one hits, oh baby, things are looking beautiful in the calendar. <laughs> things are looking nice uh, because uh, like there was in, in leading up to us recording today, there were two things on my mind. One was that our smoke alarm um, had to be replaced, so there was like a tradie coming to do that. But luckily that happened before we clicked record. But the other thing is that um, I've got a heavily pregnant wife. You do. And, uh, when yeah, is she and- due? Uh, so early October. Um, oh, exciting! Yeah, it's a. Uh, honestly, I've got so much um, excitement and anticipation around the month of October because we get to meet a little girl. Uh, but also in my mind is um, I'm looking at the calendar. I've got one, two, three, four, um, five, 
six. I got six weddings in October. That's and, all. Yeah, because well, well, when we fell pregnant, I'm like, well, yeah, no more in October. Nice um, work. So that's 25 days that I've allocated for her to arrive. And like to put on any one of those 25 days, anything from, we're talking from September 30 onwards. Um, rock on in, baby girl. Come and, come and make our life. Yay. <laughs> Excellent. That's so but good. If, if it's before September 30, God help me. <laughs> like if, if you're listening to this and you follow me on social and you see it's like September 26 and we're welcoming a little girl, know that I've had to make a million phone calls. Um, <laughs> and I'm shitting myself and, <laughs> and you're in a world of pain. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so it. it's, 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 it's funny that whole angle of being someone in the wedding industry having a bub. Because I'm going to be straight and honest. Like, uh, I love what I do, and weddings and being a celebrant is amazing. Um, but it's not more amazing, and it's not more important than than our family and and, and having a baby and my wife and Brit, well, same person. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, like 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 the business aspect of my life, being a yeah. celebrant. Um, and and that's a really hard thing to get my head around because I I do acknowledge that that these couples' weddings and elopements are really important. And and I would go so far as to say, look, they they are more important than a lot of things in my life, but they're not more important um than Brit and Bub and and family. And so uh just trying to align that in my head has been really hard because like, all these people have paid a lot of money to have me come to their mm. wedding, and, and it's a real honour. <laughs> and also particularly because, you know, this is your first child. So yes, for a yeah, long yeah. time you know, of course, Brit is first, but given that you and Brit work together, yeah, work. You know, you've been able to almost put work first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For- well, and because Brit's very understanding, like I'll be like, hey, I've got to have this meeting, and she knows that it's important, and I have the meeting. You know, yeah, that's it. Um, and it might be hard. It might mean that we don't do things on Saturdays, but hey, we work together, so we can have Monday off together, and yeah. that's a blessing. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting, but but just the whole not knowing about a date. So like we've got friends that have um that you've those of us in the wedding industry have probably seen a few people, a few other people are pregnant and a few other people yes. have had babies recently, and uh, and I know that some of them are having planned Caesars, uh, yes. which is is fine, but but we don't want to do that. We just want to kind of uh, roll the dice and play the natural game. No, not the natural, just just the non the surprise sort of, game, the surprise, the non scheduled game. And yeah. hey, even when you do schedule things, that doesn't necessarily go to plan either. One of my, one of my friends had a scheduled Caesar a few years ago and her waters broke on the morning of, like before the Caesar was scheduled oh, wow. for. So, so, and then gave, gave birth. No, uh, she still had the Caesar. Right. Okay. Uh, because that was, the, there were some reasons for that. Uh, sure. but you know, it, she was, and that was four or five weeks before she was due. So it was, yeah, fascinating. Babies, I don't yeah. know. Good luck with that. Thank you. Yeah, no, like, I love it. like you've just you've just exhausted all of your baby advice. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Just, I got yeah. Just good else. luck. Um, good try luck. not to fuck up. Um, <laughs> and don't whinge to me about not sleeping because I'm not interested. Self-imposed and self-inflicted. Yeah, well. <laughs> We've, uh, we're going to have a perfect child, so. Yeah, of course, of <laughs> course you are. Yes, yes, you are. Okay, so uh, what shall we talk about first? We have a bit of a list. 
yeah, things yeah, well, that I, we want to look I, at. I thought, um, because I, I know that there's a lot of people that listen to the podcast who aren't Celebrant Institute members. And so I just want to kind of skim over. But there's also, um, people, members that listen. And, and I thought just a quick conversation about a few of the articles I've recently posted. Just, uh, because, I know there's, there's something we're going to talk about later, which has been asked as a question, but I haven't really been able to write an article about it, but we thought the conversation around it might be more valuable than an article. Um, and so the same thing here, that uh, we could just look at a few things I've posted recently and just kind of see if there's a bit of an opinion on it. Sounds like a plan. So what do we got first? Oh, oh yeah, I saw this about uploading documents to, a, to New South Wales. Hang on. Before we get to this, I saw a major piece of news yesterday that I can't remember where I saw it, but I'm not sure if you've caught up on this. ACT BDM is now asking for scanned marriage documentation by email. I haven't seen that. That's spectacular. I know. They don't have an online system. So this but is, but it's a step good. forward in the right direction. So as far as I'm aware, they're the first BDM without an online system to ask for electronic documentation, but they have said, Please, you can send us the hard copies if you want, but we'd rather if you didn't. Please just scan them and email them to this address. Oh, my God. You, I, I didn't even know about that. Where, I where know. did you see that? Um, I saw it in a Facebook group somewhere. And, of course, as we all know, Facebook is the place yeah. where everything is true. Uh, but I'm pretty sure like, it was a screenshot of an email that had gone out to all ACT celebrants. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to kind of just hit them up and write, can you not write an article, but just kind of do a little thing on the website about that for our members. Totally cool? can. Totally yeah. can. Which um, I suppose comes to uh, the uh, the much uh, sexy and exciting topic of uploading documents to the New South Wales BDM, um, which for the longest time, if anyone uses the New South Wales Lifelink system, which is about to come to Victoria, I understand, it's almost like a bit of a copy-paste kind of deal, mm. Uh that if you're on a Mac or an iPad um, or any kind of non-government-issued bloody Windows PC, <laughs> if, if you were on something like that and you wanted to upload the documents, because you can you can use the website fine, but uploading documents, if you go to the Add a Document screen, you would um, you just couldn't save the uploaded. You could, you could choose the document, but you couldn't upload it. And uh, and so for the longest time, what I would do is I'd get to my Mac, and uh, I'm going to get really nerdy for about ten seconds. Uh, I would change the user agent. And user agent is when your web browser, so Safari or Chrome or Firefox, it tells the website, this is who I am. So generally, if I use Safari, Safari would say, hey, New South Wales BDM, I'm Safari. But I would change the user user agent to Internet Explorer. And when New South Wales BDM saw that, they're like, oh, you're Internet Explorer, you can upload. So that's wow. how I upload documents. Yeah, so crazy, so crazy, that's so stupid. So crazy. And in fact, it's so crazy, and I didn't even know that that was a thing that you could do. Yeah, so you've got to enable a thing called uh, the develop menu in your web browser, and it's a bit nerdy. Yeah, boring, so nerdy, yeah. Yeah, okay, so uh, so I, I got sick of doing this, and I thought, um, I'm going to tweet about it. I'm going to tweet the New South Wales, New South Wales BDM and just uh, do a little video showing how stupid it is. And maybe they'll respond to that. And they did. And they emailed me. And they've got a support <laughs> document, which I copied and pasted onto the Celebrant Institute, because uh, this is the bug in the New South Wales Lifelink system. You've just got to click refresh. You click refresh <laughs> and you can upload documents if you're on a Mac. It's that simple. That simple and that stupid. So yeah, walk all, us through it. So news. when you try to upload a document, then what happens? Um, so if, if you, if you haven't clicked refresh, if you try to upload a document, the save button is just grayed out. You uh -huh. click refresh and the save button is now 
norm. Appears. Oh yeah. So it's just a little bug in our stupid system. <laughs> but I thought, you know what? New South Wales BDM is probably the busiest BDM in the country, and I reckon a lot of our members have to deal with him, and that's a silly, stupid little thing they should just fix. But, but instead also, of fixing it, how have they not, like, told anyone about that? Yeah, Especially yeah. if they've got a whole support document that's, like, why have they not just sent that to all of the people who are registered to use the system? Wouldn't it's that make sense? World. It would make sense. But, yes. But uh, talking about making sense, um, <laughs> I I personally put a question into the Celebrant Institute just because sometimes when I have an idea, I want to I submit it the correct way and let Sarah answer it. Answer it. And that's about citing original documents. Yeah, you had this uh, great idea that, you know, at- all celebrants will know that we are required to cite original passports or birth certificates. We're not going to talk about divorce orders because they're only issued electronically and there's no original. But anyway, uh, original passports and birth certificates in particular and driver's license, whatever. And your question was, do you have to be physically in the same room as those documents when you are citing them or can you cite them over Skype or FaceTime, etc.? cetera? Uh, so I went to the guidelines And I read the section that says, um, you know, it talked about how you give notice if you're overseas. And it says, it is not acceptable for a celebrant to accept a norm and or supporting documents via video conferencing services such as Skype. Josh then proceeded to argue with me that supporting documents did not mean the birth certificate and passport. And I then pointed him to the next, uh, paragraph in the guidelines which said original supporting documents relating to evidence of date and place of birth identity and evidence of the end of a previous marriage so clear that clearly they do but then he said okay that's fine but why now i do always say at the start of my opd sessions that i will answer any question except for ones that start with but why (laughs) (laughs) because because often the answer is just because <laughs> which is not very satisfactory for some people. So quite frankly, the answer of but why at the moment is because the guidelines say so. Uh, I know that Josh has written to the Attorney General's Department. Uh, no, no, you've, you've missed this. You've missed this, Steppy. Did you, I miss you did a bit? some digging. Oh, I did do some digging. I did a little bit of digging. I did a little bit. And the Electronic Transactions Act allows uh, all sorts of documents to be transferred electronically and that those electronic submissions are can be relied on. And it also says that if a Commonwealth law requires you to produce a document, you can do that electronically. And where I found that was actually on the Attorney General's Department's website <laughs> because they manage the Electronic Transactions Act. So, uh, you know, okay, this is contradictory, but at the moment, again, the answer is because the guidelines say so. So, but did you ever get a res- did you ever get a response? Because I know you sent you emailed the Attorney General's Department saying, "Hey, the Electronic Transactions Act says this, and it's on your website. Uh, why does this not apply to marriage documentation?" Did you get a response to that? No, I haven't received a response <laughs> yet. Um, because I know that they're all going through the legislation, <laughs> shitting themselves, and they're going to issue a response soon saying, ah, we're sorry, we were wrong. And uh, that'll come soon, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, good and one. Can I, just, can I just draw a line in the sand that there will be a time in the future when as marriage celebrants can, can receive the documents electronically, and, and that'll be because 
I annoyed you, and then I emailed them. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want I don't, like I don't want my mom my name to be credited in every circumstance. <laughs> but just when that happens, it'll be because I pissed off the AG enough that they changed the, the guidelines. <laughs> And I do have to say that I also am still awaiting responses to two of my emails about issues uh, regarding what's in the current guidelines that I sent on the 1st of August. And it's now the 21st of September. I'm pretty sure that there's some kind of like klaxon that goes off when the Attorney General's Department email gets an email from me uh, that goes like alert, alert, really annoying celebrant with a really annoying legal question, throw this away and don't look at it. But this is the beautiful thing about uh, living in Australia, living under a democracy, is, um, look, we, we do have to respect the laws um, uh, as the uh, the laws and the precedences and the legal system as it stands, but it, it isn't without question. Uh, True. I, I think that's the most beautiful thing is that is that we can we can question, we can push that, and this goes everything from you you or I could choose to become a member or well, choose to um, uh, put ourselves forward for nomination as a as a uh, member of parliament or whatever level of government government you go for we can we can choose to do that we can be elected and we can make decisions we can put law in processes and but even as a citizen we can petition um, the lawmakers and the and the politicians and we can say hey that's stupid and they can listen to us and they they make changes and they do every day and with marriage celebrancy. Um, I, I don't know, like, this is such a boring topic, but, but you and I personally have, have, have affected the laws and the guy, not the laws, um, but maybe, maybe we flexed our muscles a little bit. Maybe, you know, gays can get married now. Yay. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, I, I, can I just say, I had the fact that I just said gays was such a stupid, it's just like Australian normal culture. Um, we're not, but, it's but, okay. But yeah, like, like with the, with the ways the marriage laws and the way celebrants work today, that you and I flex our muscles in so many ways that it's a better place to work today. So good on you for being you. Good on us. Yay us. People power for the win. Amen. Uh, what else is happening on the celebrant drink? Oh yeah, charging for travel. Um, I have thoughts on this. But you didn't write up your thought. Oh, you, you did in a comment. That's true. Yeah. So we talked about, somebody asked about how to charge for travel. And I, you know, wrote up my very process-driven uh, mathematical equation that I use to uh, to decide how much travel to charge. And then Josh went, "Yeah, I don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> well, because because here's here's the thing with 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 all things business, um, I always want to keep things as simple as possible. And and so I, I don't I'm not ridiculing you or anyone else that makes the decisions you do. But uh, the wedding industry is fraught with scams and weirdos and people that, oh, I'll, I'll do your wedding photos for $100, but you get no digitals. You want digitals, it's $10,000. Or there's wedding studios that will be like, oh, you only get the digitals of the photos that you include in your um, album, and the album is $100 a page and, and all this kind of stuff. And and so there's all there's just lots of – and I'm not saying charging for travel is a scam because it's not, but there's just all these little titty bits, all these little things. And I want my brand to just be like a cool glass of water. I just want to be like, oh, thank God for Josh. Like, he's not a dick like a photographer, um, <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. And so, and I'm, and please don't, please hear me right. I'm not saying charging for travel by the kilometer or anything is. I, I, it's not. You're not a dick if you do that. You're, I'm not. I'm not implying that I. I'm in fact going the complete opposite way and say I just any of that stuff, any of the even having different packages, all of that stuff. 
and, and I do have different packages, but they're very clearly different products. Like they're not three different wedding ceremony packages. I um, I've just been in the, I've, I've been doing this for so long that I just, I'm like, I, I just want to be a cool glass of water that, that I would deliver above expectations and people would get more value than what they paid for. Like they might pay $1,700 for me to be their celebrant, but they would get lots more than that in value. And I know that's a really bold stance to take. Um, and, and it's not without pains. Like I don't know, I don't, I don't get a booking every day. Like I'm not sitting here rolling in money, but the couples that do book me love me and I love doing what I do for them because it's just simple. Um, and I don't have to be calculating kilometers and, all of that kind of stuff. And particularly if you're doing a couple of weddings on one day, like do you charge kilometers from your house or from the, the wedding? Or what if you charge from your house, but then you get another booking and, and and they find out that you had another booking near them. Are you charging them both a couple of cents per kilometer and does it get yucky? And so I just don't like personally as an individual, I don't like that. And so I just like to be really simple and I just charge a really good price. That means if I have to drive, so it's within two or three hours, I'm covered. Um, and my fee covers that even if it's local or close, which, is an oversimplified look at it, and and I feel like I've probably offended people by by talking about it like that. But I, I, I just want to be such a simple, simple um, solution for people's weddings. I actually think that this is more about. This is just my thinking when I read your comment. I think this is more about the type of business that you run in comparison to the type of business that I run. You run a business where you do travel large distances on a regular basis, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas I run a business where it's very, very rare for me to travel. It's it's even very rare for me to travel any further than an hour's drive from my house uh, because the vast majority of my work is at venues within Greater Melbourne, which are within an hour's drive from my house. So for me to charge a price normally that would cover me for driving three or four hours – I would feel would be overcharging all of the clients that are that that are ninety five percent of my clientele that are near to me uh, or nearer to me. Whereas when ninety five percent of your clientele is far away or requires you to travel, then it makes more sense to just build travel into your normal fee. Do you see what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so, and, and you know what? That's very valid because because. And please always take this into account whenever I talk, um, that I only see the world from where I am. Exactly. Like I, I desperately do try to open my mind and to see it where you are or somewhere else is. And I, I hope that would be a redeeming feature of me that people could say, oh, cool, he's a little bit open-minded and he sees it like I see it. And I try, but I'm also just a human. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so yeah, I do only see the world from where I am. And that is the kind of business I run. Yeah. Um, but then, I don't know, but then my, my reaction to you would also be, like, like, what's what's the most, what's the biggest travel fee you're going to charge, or the average travel fee? Is it is it like eighteen dollars? I'm like, well, just up your price by eighteen dollars. Oh, totally. And just make it simple for everyone. And that's the thing is that I would, and I suppose for me, I think I might have talked about this in my post a little bit. I don't ever charge a fee that's like if I'm. So my website says that you get forty k's uh, from my house. If I'm going fifty k's, I'm not charging for that. Cause I'm not going to charge like $9. That's petty and a bit ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I only charge a travel fee when it's about like, I'm going, you know, an extra hundred dollars worth. So yeah. I kind of start my travel fee if I'm going two hours instead of one hour. So, uh, because yeah, I would totally go like, I'm not going to charge you an extra $18. That's just ridiculous. 
you, you but, get But then that. if I can put back to you, just uh, so you, is that is that communicated in like a uh, whatever, a landing page or like wherever you communicate your fees, if someone's reading that, so like they've said, hey, how much you send them all that and then they, they're like, oh, it's so-and-so per kilometre or the, the first 40 cases free, are they reading that and like, ah, oh, it's all too hard? Because um, cause I know like that's my initial response is like, all right, so fees this, and, and then I've got to get a calculator out. Um, no, so I I say that, well, this is how I do it. On my website, I advertise that, uh, you know, travel outside 40 kilometres may incur an additional fee. And I'm certainly not sell- telling them how much that fee is going to be. Right. or okay. it's oh, a, yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. so it's more a, they'd certainly don't, I have, bless, had a few clients who've come to me and gone, now my venue's 42Ks from you, is that Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bless, um, which is adorable, and I adore them for it. Yeah, and yeah. you know that's lovely. But I'm certainly not. It's not a hard and fast rule. I suppose, okay. yeah. For me, the 40 k's is so that once I'm travelling 300 k's, I can charge from 40 because I. And that's fair. That's yeah. Okay. So it's yeah, but it's certainly interesting. And I think that I even said in my post that every celebrant that I've ever spoken to does this differently manages their travel in a different way. Uh, it's a very personal decision and it's not just about how many kilometres am I driving. Uh, it's also about how many other bookings could I potentially take that day? How much time am I prepared to spend away from my family and from other activities and so on and so forth. So it's a very personal choice about A, whether or not to accept bookings that are a long way away from you and B, how to charge for those. Yeah, and you know what, this is... This is a conversation that um that I'll forever be having with particularly with with Britain and I as we shape our business because as we have a bub, um I'm asking myself, do I do I want to travel as much as I do? And and honestly it's a it's a real it's a real back and forth um, through on the whole idea because I I think we are super lucky to do what we do. Like I'm I'm i I'm so so grateful for the opportunities Britt and I have had to um to travel the world and to do what we do. I I really enjoy our job. I think we're really lucky. And uh and sometimes like I might be a bit tired and like, oh I'm just so sick of travel. Like because really in the last six weeks I have traveled to all the places I talked about and I'm I'm buggered. But I'm also more grateful than I am buggered. Mm. But as we have a bub, I'm like, oh you know what it'd be nice to travel less. Um and, and just because I've already got my position. I don't think I would ever start charging per kilometre or something mm. like that. Um, and I know in the past, and some local celebrants, they've got like, well, I'm based in Brisbane, uh, so Noosa is a hundred bucks, and Gold Coast is fifty, and Byron's one fifty, that kind of thing. And and I think that stems more from the that's not what it costs me. That stems from I'd rather do weddings in Brisbane. So if yeah. you're going to get me on the road and go to Noosa, then well, you know, it's almost like a it's like a travel tax as opposed yeah. to a travel fee. Yeah. And again, that's, you know, that's a personal decision for each celebrant to make. And that's, um, it's about how they want to manage their business. So it's, yeah, all we can say is how we do it. And, uh, you know, it's up to each person to make their own decision, which is cool. Cool. It's very, very cool. Yes. Uh, so I think that we've talked enough about what's on the Celebrant Institute at the moment. <laughs> and I think that we should move on to our other topics for today. But can I just uh, leave with a plug? Celebrant.institute's the website. Uh, you know, become a member. Get on board. Ten bucks. And then you can ask any question you like. Anytime. Love it. And also, for people that are already members, ask a question. It's I, I, I know that um, Sarah and I have got so much inside of us that if we literally sit down and start a typing, we could just write forever. But it's uh, it's so much... It's almost, would you say, for more fulfilling 
to say, well, so-and-so members got a, um, that they need this they information. They yeah. And, and we can, like, we can answer that. It's kind of like, it's a, it's a nice position. Like, it's a blessing to us to just answer your questions Absolutely. as opposed to, um, yeah, as opposed to, uh, uh, just doing, writing a blank page. Totally. Totally. Agreed. Which is probably where the next topic takes us because this was a question that was asked, um, but I haven't really been able to formulate a text article about it yet because it's more of conversation than a, an article. Mm-hmm. Which celebrant software to use? Absolutely. Being a Victorian celebrant, I'm going to make the grand assumption without you answering um, that you use just the Victorian BDM online system, yeah? I absolutely do, yes. Uh, but it's really interesting that I talk to a lot of celebrants who don't use the Victorian online BDM system. Uh, and we, I think I've talked in a previous episode about the fact that Victoria is moving to a system where every celebrant who officiates a wedding in Victoria is going to have to register it through the online system. Uh, there'll be no exceptions to that rule. So now people are starting to say, oh, well, I'm using Celebrant Suite, but I'm going to have to use the Victorian BDM system. So do I double enter everything or do I switch? Uh, and, you know, my, my advice is certainly if you are in a state that has an online BDM system, use it because you are much more in control of the data entry process and what information feeds through to BDM when you're actually doing the data entry yourself. That's the purpose of the online systems is so that we do that data entry and BDM doesn't have to, but that also means that there's less scope for errors because if we're doing the data entry ourselves and we are then, you know, printing out the marriage certificates and getting our couples to check them, there's less scope for at the other end, BDM getting them and doing the data entry and making a data entry error and nobody checking it until the official certificate turns up. Yeah, uh, yeah, which which is which happens every yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, if you're in a state that has an online system, like use it. And I do my understanding, and Josh is going to talk more about this because he has more experience. My understanding is that programs like Celebrant Suite and Celebrant Briefcase do have other functions apart from creating the official marriage certificates and documentation. Uh, but the way I see it, all of those functions can be covered by other software or other processes. So to me, I've, I've not been able to find a good enough reason to use, for example, both Celebrant Suite and an online BDM system. But, Josh, you might have other thoughts about so, that. So uh, way, 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 way back in the day um, when uh, when the online systems were um, fresh or non-existent for Queensland particularly, uh, and then also when, um, uh, when I was starting out, there was an offer to use the Celebrant Suite, uh, which I think at the time it was offered through the AFCC, but it wasn't even an AFCC member. So I, I paid the might have been a hundred a year or so, and uh, it was a, it was a good investment for me because it was one place where I could um, I, I'd, I'd often sit down with a couple, we'd enter the data together, and uh, print out the documents, they'd check it, we'd sign. Lovely days, and if I just say I met a couple, but I didn't get their passport yet, then they would sit in this pending weddings column, and I really liked that system that that I would have all my weddings on the left and on the right or in the middle column, I'd have weddings that are yet to, uh, you get to kind of get, uh, whatever it is, whatever, whether it's ID or whether it's annoying. Cause even, 
uh, if I've entered the data, but I haven't got a date, then that sits in the pending column. So I've entered the data, but I haven't met with them yet. Yeah, that kind of thing. I mm-hmm. really, I really like that system, particularly when you're operating at a higher volume. It's nice not to have in the top end, top, top of your mind, oh, I haven't got Jack and Jules Noim yet and have to think about that every day. I could just look at Celebrant Suite and it would tell me, no, Noims are here. And, um, the, um, the biggest downfall with Celebrant Suite and for all of its life is not even a downfall. It's just, it's just what, um, what it's how Ron designed it. It's a Windows application. And, uh, I, I have, um, ardently not used Windows for over a decade now. But when I first got Celebrant Suite, I found a, a really cheap laptop for, um, 200 bucks or so and, uh, and installed it on that. I had a Celebrant Suite laptop. Um, these days I've got to use a virtual machine. I play a couple, couple of cents an hour to use a Chinese virtual machine, <laughs> which is, uh, a computer that it's doesn't even, it's not even a physically, uh, it's not a physical computer. It's a virtual computer that sits on a server in China and I pay a couple of cents an hour to access that. And that's kind of cool. But, which, which is a lot of effort to use for all this stuff, particularly whereas today we have all these great online systems. And if I was starting fresh today, and if I was only doing weddings in Queensland or New South Wales or um, Victoria, I'd probably, honestly, I'd probably wouldn't use a system because there's existing systems. Uh, but then even with me, and particularly Gold Coast celebrants or Northern New South Wales celebrants and Brisbane celebrants, we do a lot of weddings cross-border. So then... You haven't got the accountability to a single system that says, oh, hey, you haven't got so-and-so's knowing yet. You haven't got their passport and onwards and onwards. So to have a singular system still has its benefits. And so that's why I still use Celebrant Suite because in Celebrant Suite, I can see all of the, the weddings that I haven't got information for yet. Also, Celebrant Suite's got this really nice little um, system where uh, Ivan Conway designed it where you can send couples to a website they enter the information to the website and that imports into Celebrant Suite. So it saves you double typing, double handling, and it makes sure the data is correct. So Celebrant Suite is nice, and I'm not planning on giving it up anytime soon. But there is this new one called Celebrant Briefcase, which uh, just as a side note, I signed up for yesterday to have a look. So I don't really have great knowledge in it. It looks nice, but I entered that I was an AFCC member, which has ignited a series of events. <laughs> 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 because I'm already a Celebrant Suite AFCC yes, member. Yes, you're only allowed to use one or the other, aren't you? Oh, gosh. I, I just love that every time I breathe, the AFCC bloody grumbles. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, life is never boring here in the Josh Withers office. So I've now got to explain why I would ever want to use two Celebrant programs. And Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Life's interesting. Uh, but, you know, Celebrant Briefcase, it looks fine. Like, a, like it, I, I don't really have any deep thoughts on it right now. Um, it looks it's like a, a Mac program, yeah? Well, no, it's a, it's a web-based right. program. Right, so, so you can, you can use access, it on a Mac. Yeah, Mac, PC, iPad, whatever. Um, so it looks fine. Uh, and, and I suppose that's the biggest real advantage to Celebrant Suite is that it's a web-based program. So it doesn't really matter which computer on. You just go to a website, you log on, and you access it. Uh, I... I don't know. In fact, I'm just kind of clicking in to find out now, but it looks like it, um, it doesn't have the system that, uh, Celebrant Suite has where you can send your couples to a, a page to, to enter stuff, which I, I kind of really like that. Like part of my, part of my onboarding system with the, um, with clients, so onboarding is a business term to kind of get them on board. So obviously the initial onboarding is booking form and deposit, but the end result of that onboarding is, um, hey, first step, Go to this website, enter your data, so that from day one, I've asked them, hey, get me your name data so that I can you know, start all that kind of stuff. Because mm. I really like to be ahead of that game. I I, um, I stress out not being ahead of that. 
So, uh, so from there, I, um, I will, uh, enter the data and sell it on the suite. But when we meet up, if they're getting married in Queensland and New South Wales, I'll actually also enter the data into that system and get the forms from there just because I want to be in that system. It's nice. It's really nice to register marriages with the Queensland online BDM. Like it's, it's actually a very nice system. Um, and the New South Wales is, yeah, it's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, honestly, I, I never thought I'd say this, but the Queensland BDM system, they've, they've listened to feedback. They've made a good system and it's really nice. That's so, so if great. Only, if you only did weddings in Queensland, just go all in on that. You know, it doesn't cost you a cent. You can upload documents. You can do the whole thing. It's really, you can even print the uh, marriage, um, the pretty certificates, the marriage certificates from there now, which uh, can you do that with a Victoria one? No. No. So you've still got to have a word doc or something yeah. like that. To, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, I can't recall if the New South Wales one does, but that's also something else that you celebrate sweet for, which is for printing the pretty marriage certificates, um, the form 15s, because, uh, I like how that looks. And even though the Queensland one does it, I'll probably keep on using Celebrant Suite because I just, I like my font, which is a silly little thing, but that's what I like. So I, I, I don't know whether we really address the question, which is, should I use Celebrant Suite or Celebrant Briefcase? Um, the, the, there's, there's not really a clear winner. Uh, apart from the fact, if you're a Queensland Celebrant, the clear winner just use Queensland BDMs online. It's perfect. It's really good. And the, this question actually came from a New South Wales celebrant. So my initial response to her was just use the New South Wales system, uh, the online system, because, you know, as I say, anything extra that Celebrant Suite or Celebrant Briefcase does in terms of invoicing or receipting or anything like that, you can do with other programs. Uh, and to me, it's too valuable to have the direct input into BDM uh, to bother with something else. And also, I suppose I need to make a little disclaimer in that the Victorian BDM system already existed when I started as a celebrant. So I, it wasn't like I had to start with one program and then make the decision to move to another. I just started with BDM from the very beginning. Two um, or 2.5 problems with the New South Wales BDM software. 2.5. Um, it does. <laughs> well, the 0.5 is just me whinging. <laughs> <laughs> the. Um, well, and it's actually, it's probably the numbers dwindling as I start talking. So you can print, um, the marriage, uh, certificate, the form 15 from the New South Wales BDM. I just double checked and, uh, you don't get to choose any fonts and whatnot. And you know what? Maybe that doesn't matter. Like I've just grown accustomed to have a, having a sexy font. So, um, and you can still do that. Like, uh, you can have, uh, I've got, I've got, uh, pages for Mac, um, templates for marriage certificates. So, you know, you can still just type your own or copy and paste. So that's fine. Uh, the, the other one is that on two occasions in the last year, my username and password has just not worked for the weekend. It always, huh. of course, of course it happens on a bloody Saturday morning when you're sitting in a cafe with someone. <laughs> it, of, of course it happens. And, <laughs> and I send them an email and on Monday they're like, are you sure you're typing your password right? Mm. Like, yes, I'm sure. And I try it again. Of course it bloody works. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know whether they're just having system outages or whatnot. Um, so that's. Yeah, that, that's just an annoying thing with New South Wales BDM. Uh, but the, the point five, the New South Wales BDM system, it's just, it's not as, it's just not as clear in some ways. Like there's, it's happened on one occasion. Um, I have gone to order a marriage certificate for a couple because you can do that through the New South Wales BDM and I have to pay for it. So I on charge it to the couple. And, and the system just requires a lot more clicks than you'd really hope. Like you've got to submit and then confirm submission and then, 
it's it's just it's it's, it's really convoluted. It's a very governmenty kind of process. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the Queensland BDM system is just honestly it's so easy. And plus, I don't have to deal with a marriage certificate. Uh, this is this is my favorite thing about the Queensland BDM system. No longer do I have to get the forms filled out. No longer do I have to pay for it or or get their credit cards or anything like that. I just put the couple's phone number and email in. They get an email after the marriage is, re- is, is registered saying, hey, Josh, has you registered your marriage? Do you want your marriage to click here if you do? They click, fill out the credit card thing. It comes in the mail a few days later. That's beautiful. That is pretty cool, actually. Uh, I do like it. Uh, but, yes, the Victorian system is going to enable us to order the couple's certificate. We're not allowed to use their credit card to do that. We have to make the purchase ourselves. Uh, and I don't can't quite remember the reason for that. But yeah, so we would then have to on charge that to the couple. But the uh, benefit of that for the couple is that they don't have to make a separate application and send in all of their certified ID. We can just you know, before we submit the paperwork, go, yeah, we want, we're the celebrant, we've seen all of their ID, we can make the application and that's fine. So I'm still of two minds as to whether or not I want to do that. Uh, but, yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. I don't, I'm not, again, yeah, as you said, not sure if we entirely answered that question, but hopefully it's a little bit answered. Talking about a little bit answered, um if I was to per se get an invoice from the AGD's department uh, that might say something about some kind of registration annual fee, uh, what happens if I don't pay that, sir? It's very bad. You get deregistered as a celebrant. So we should all know, hopefully we all know by now, that since July 2014, all celebrants have had to pay an annual registration fee. Uh, it's $240. It hasn't changed since it was first introduced, but they have the, you know, option to change that at any time. Uh, and we have to pay it at the beginning of the financial year. So sometime after the 1st of July, every celebrant is issued with an invoice uh, from the Attorney General's Department asking us to pay our $240 registration fee. And the money is due to the Attorney General's Department's bank account by the 31st of August. So that's two whole months. We have two whole months to pay it. Now, there's always some confusion because the invoice says, the actual document says that the invoice is due, payment is due on the 1st of August, like the invoice due date is the 1st of August. But if you read the fine print a little bit on the second page, it says that, yes, that's the invoice due date, but actually the final date for the money hitting the account is the 31st of August. So, yeah, we have two whole months to pay it. And the legislation is very clear that if a celebrant does not pay their registration fee, they are automatically deregistered. There are no ifs or buts. There are, there's no uh, special circumstances. There's no appeal process, there's no nothing because the legislation says if X happens, then Y. That's the only option. If X happens, if you don't pay, then Y is that you get deregistered. That's it. So I think this year there's been over 100 celebrants deregistered for not paying their invoice and, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, but 
my invoice must have gone to spam, uh, I never got it, or I forgot because, you know, life gets in the way, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The Attorney General's Department doesn't care about any of that. Uh, and it's, and that's not because the public servants are uncaring or horrible people. It's because the law requires them to deregister us and there's nothing they can do about it. They can feel as sorry for you as they like, but there's nothing they can do about it. So, uh, there's two things that people need to do. The first one is that when you get the invoice, you need to pay it. Just pay it straight away. You know, I know that there's the whole school of thought of don't pay an invoice until it's due because the money's better in your bank account for as long as it can be instead of in their bank account. For this though, when the, when the circumstance, when the penalty for not paying is so dire, don't leave it to the last minute. Just pay it the minute you get it. It's just so much easier. Uh, the second, actually there's three things. The second thing that everybody needs to do is if they do not receive the, their invoice by email in the first week or two of July, they need to contact the Attorney General's Department and ask where it is. Bulk email is by no means perfect. Th- things go missing in the, you know, interwebs. Uh, things go to spam. There are all sorts of things that can happen to a, an email that is sent out as a bulk email. Remember, there are, you know, eight and a half thousand celebrants that they email this to. I can assure you somebody is not sitting there individually typing out every email address. Uh, it's some kind of bulk email system and that's not perfect. So if you don't receive it, don't go, oh, that's great. It means I don't have to pay. No, it means you have to chase it up. So if you haven't received it, make sure you chase it up. Put a reminder in your calendar on the 15th of July have I got my invoice yet? If not, chase it up. So that's the second thing. The third thing is if you as an individual feel strongly that that punishment is too severe, write to your local federal member and tell them because the only way that this will be changed is if enough people lobby their members and somebody, you know, some member of parliament puts forward an amendment bill to change the legislation. That is the only way it will get paid. Uh, Just to clarify, are you saying if if I post in a Facebook group that doesn't change the world or if I share a meme with like a, a image with text over it that doesn't do it? <laughs> Continue. You, just, you keep it talking. <laughs> yes, correct. So... <laughs> But no, the, the more, the more I'm, more what I'm saying is that complaining to the staff at MLCS at the Attorney General's Department doesn't help. Complaining to your association doesn't help. Asking your association to contact the Attorney General's Department doesn't help. None of those things can make any difference because the AGD has no power to change the legislation. The only people who can do that are the politicians, the members of parliament. So if you think this is a draconian measure, you need to write to your local member and ask them to put forward an amendment to the legislation. Uh, the other thing is to write to your local senator. And there are there will be multiple, you know, there's like senators for Victoria is how it works. So there's lots and lots of senators for whichever state you're in. Write to them all and ask them to bring it up at the Senate Estimates you know, committee meeting thing twice a year. I think every kind of department has to go along to a Senate estimates meeting and, and the senators ask them a bunch of questions. Uh, 
we need to ask our senators to ask the Attorney General's Department why this is happening and, you know, encourage the Attorney General or somebody else to change the legislation. So that's really, you know, very well-meaning people in Facebook groups uh, responding to people who are very distressed saying, oh, but surely they'll understand and they can, you know, change it if you ring them up and explain what happened. No, there's literally nothing that anybody can do. So your only course of action if you get deregistered is to reapply. In order to apply to be a celebrant, you start at the beginning, which means you need to hold a certificate for in celebrancy. If you have been a celebrant for more than six years, you probably don't hold a certificate for in celebrancy. So you need to go and get one. And yes, you can. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the people that this has happened to have been celebrants for 10 years. They don't have a certificate for, so they have to get one. And yes, you can get one through recognition of prior learning, but Honestly, that's so much work and not quite as much of a cost of as doing it from scratch for the first time, but it is a lot of work. So, you know, you have to get a cert for, you have to reapply, you have to pay a $600 application fee, you have to find three references to write your referee reports, you have to do your legal test, you have to write a ceremony, you have to do a norm, and then you have to wait up to three months to be registered. So, you know, it is doable. I know people who've been deregistered for not paying the fee and have gone through the process of being re-registered. It's absolutely doable, but it's certainly not preferable, particularly coming into a wedding season where you might have 30, 40, 50 weddings booked, that now you've got to either tell the couple that you can't do them or you've got to pay another celebrant to come and do legal stuff for you. So I think there was a a celebrant saying that it's going to cost her $10,000 to get through this process by the time she pays another celebrant to do the legals at all of her upcoming weddings, pays for a Cert 4 and pays for reapplication. It's going to cost her about $10,000. So the moral of the story is pay your registration invoice when it comes straight away if you don't get one, chase it up. Wow. I, I, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, God, I don't have a cert for in, in celebrancy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never really considered that that's a thing yeah. that I don't have. Yeah. And you don't have. And you, if you got deregistered, you'd have to get one. And wow. the, the current cert for is very onerous. It's, there's a lot of work. You have to, uh, you know, interview, write, rehearse, present. Uh, and do paperwork for for eight ceremonies, five weddings plus three other ceremonies. And that's a lot more than when I did it, it was two or three. So it's, it is a lot of work uh, to get a new one. Of course, as I say, you can do it through recognition of prior learning, but to gather all the evidence required for that is a lot of work as well. So please just pay your fee. I can't stress this enough, and I stress it every year, but I'm going to say it again. Please just pay your fee. It's a... Uh- it's not that hard, but I understand that life gets in the way. God, do I understand that life gets in the way, but just, yeah, make sure you do that. Um, so two of the things we want to talk about, talk about real, real quickly, because I feel the first one is a quick and short, but you and I talked about it on the phone, and I think it's going to make its way into an article soon, but I'm still kind of processing. And uh, I, for the longest time, I've had a kind of a homebrew, a custom system that I use to manage my business, which is, it's kind of like a, a bit of a... Um, 
you know, it's like going to dad's workshop and seeing that he's kind of mishmashed all these things together and it kind of works, which is what my system has been. And when I say system, I'm talking about your 17 hats or your studio ninja, as some people use or, or whatnot. Um, and uh, the reason that I've gone from Josh's homebrew kind of, you know, piecemeal system to a, a named system is because as we move into this section of life with a barb and all that kind of thing, I, um, I thought my little homebrew system might be a far less understood by, but like, like, I'm sure you could probably walk into my office and figure things out, say, but like, like maybe you couldn't, like there's probably things that are just in my head or mm. things that are in a different email account or, or didn't you log into my Google docs or whatever it might be. Uh, so I'm just trying to be a little bit more foolproof and a little bit more intelligent by having my life in a single place so that if I can't make a wedding because of bub or if I, uh, if, if something terrible was to happen to me, can I, can I, easily or can Brit easily give the login details to something to, to say you or a friend or whatever, and they can just kind of figure out where life's at and who do I have to call and that kind of thing. Yeah. Is it, is, is it, does that sound like a smart idea? Makes total sense. Absolutely. Contingency planning is actually really important. And I, I think we'll talk more about general contingency planning down the track, but for, yeah, it's really important. And we're not even talking about putting an A4 page on the passenger seat. If you can. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Um, so you use Tave. I yeah. do, yes. Why? Because I adore it. <laughs> but there was so, a time where you didn't know that's it existed. True. So that's if true. it's well so, and good to say you adore it today. So uh, a few years ago, I attended a celebrant conference and one of our lovely colleagues did a presentation on a system she used called 17 Hats. And, you know, she showed how she did all her invoicing and her emailing and contracting and workflow and everything through this one system. And I went, oh, that looks amazing. And I was getting to the point where I was getting busy enough that I couldn't hold all the information in my head anymore. Because even though I had Excel spreadsheets and checklists and everything, I I wasn't really very good at remembering to tick things off or to going back into this Excel spreadsheet and ticking things off. I was just kind of keeping everything in my head where I was up to with each client. I just kind of knew that in my head. So I was getting to the point where that wasn't really going to work anymore. And I thought 17 hats looked amazing. And I did some research on it and I discovered that it didn't do one major thing, which was reporting. And I think I might've talked about this before, but it didn't, I couldn't run a report of, for example, how many weddings I had coming up or where my weddings had, where the leads had come from or uh, what kind of weddings I was doing, you know, so which packages, how many I was doing of which package, that sort of thing. Didn't do any reporting. And to me, that wasn't really going to cut it because that was a big part of, you know, my business planning was where am I going to market myself? I need to know which marketing avenues are working, bloody blah, blah. So I had a bit of a look around and they were all a bit overwhelming, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but I, I spoke to a photographer mate of mine, Brenton, uh, who said that his partner was is a business analyst and had looked at all of the systems that were currently on the market in 2016 and had decided that Tave was the best one for Brenton to use for his photography studio. And I went, well, I trust Brenton pretty implicitly and I had a look at Tave and it did everything I wanted it to do, even though I knew it was very complex. Uh, it did everything. So that's why I chose Tave. A, I had a personal recommendation. Uh, B, 
someone had done all the work and looked at the other systems and see when I looked at it myself, it did everything I wanted it to do. Because, of course, this was pre-Studio Ninja time. I understand that a lot of people now are using Studio Ninja because it is much uh, more, it's much easier to set up than Tave is. But, uh, at the time, Tave for me was the best. And to be honest, even now, uh, it's, Tave is so customizable and so great for my business that I probably would still choose it in the market today. So that's why I chose Tave and I do love and adore it. And it has changed my business life for the better. And it's really ace. So, I like that a lot. Yeah. So then why don't you tell us, Josh, about what process you went through when looking at a system to choose? So a uh, mutual friend of ours um, uh, put me in contact with Studio Ninja way, way back before anyone even knew it existed. They're, like, they're looking for beta testers who want to have a look at it. And, and I did, and, and I, I saw the advantages, but also it was so early on. And it was it's kind of like, you know, like I've got a real business to run today. Like if I was starting fresh, sure, I could play with this, but – but like literally today I've got a business to run and I can't invest too much into a beta product like, product like Studio Ninja years ago. And even today I had a look at it. As I went through this process last month, I looked at Studio Ninja and I thought, this is, this is nice. This is, if I was a wedding photographer, I'd really like this, but I'm not a wedding photographer. Um, and so that was one of the biggest draws away from Studio Ninja is that a, all of the terminology and the wording, um, like you don't book a job or a wedding, you book a shoot, and 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 I didn't like that for my business. I just it kind of annoyed me. It was like a little OCD thing that really annoyed me. And I find that really interesting that they've gone down that path of making it so photography specific because Tave is the same. It was built by wedding photographers in the first place. So, and it was built for wedding photographers. So some of their terminology, like they talk about sessions rather yeah. than ceremonies or jobs or but they but they do talk about jobs and events and things like that so they have moved to a more generic terminology and i'm interested that in this day and age studio ninjas chosen to use such specific terminology yeah well you know what if you're a photographer you jump in like oh cool these are all words i use yeah it makes sense. It's made for photographers, and but I can see that at some point soon, if they want to broaden out to other creatives, they'll change the terminology. But they haven't done it today, and it annoyed me today. And I was looking for a system I could use today. today yeah. Uh, and so from there, I looked at Seventeen Hats, and Seventeen Hats was like it's good, but um, the, it was still lacking in a few features. And also, there's oh well, just there's one thing I was looking in every in there was one thing I was looking for in all these systems that the where I got to was the only one that had it. Um. Uh, and I'll tell you what that is in a second. So, so 17 had, so it was still a little bit, it, I felt like it just needed to go a bit further. Uh, and it was a little bit too simplified in many ways. And I, I was looking for something that could flex my muscles a little bit, but still be within the confines of a system, which is where Tave is a great, great contender. And I probably would have gone to Harvey if it wasn't for this one thing that took me to Dubsado, D-U-B-S-A-D-O. Um, or as some people have pronounced it, Dubsado, which is how I pronounce it until I watch the videos and what they call it Dubsado. So I'll call it Dubsado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was, I wanted, I wanted a little bit of Zapier into integration, uh, cause Zapier is an automation tool that I use to automate different parts of my business. And Studio Ninja doesn't have, um, Zapier integration, nor does 17 Hats, nor does Tave, but Dubsado has, uh, Dubs, Dubsado. There we go. <laughs> You're back to Gosh. your original. Dubsado. Yeah, I've, I've gone full circle. 
Um, so I think, I think Dubsado and Tave, I reckon if, if you logged in, you'd probably see a lot of similarities. Like I feel that they're not terribly different. Like I'm sure each one would have its own guiding principles. And, um, and Dubsado definitely, um, kind of hinges on a few of those that I've had to change to suit my business. And I've had to change my business to suit that. But, uh, but very simply, I just wanted a system where I could take bookings, take inquiries and manage that relationship with my clients. And so that's where I've gone, Dubsado. Um, and like I said, this isn't the end of the conversation. I'm probably going to write an article about it a little bit soon and, and kind of finish up my thoughts when I've fully integrated my business with, um, Dubsado. But, uh, but that's why I'm not using Studio Ninja, uh, because it's, um, photography focused and it hasn't got Zapier integration. I'm not using 17 hats because if anything, 17 hats is probably a little bit too creative focused and not really focused on events and, uh, like event creativity, like celebrancy and photography. Um, and, uh, and Tave, uh, looked great. Um, but yeah, it didn't have Zapier integration. And what I love is that all these systems have weird pronunciations. Like they can't just be like <laughs> Sarah CRM. Like, so let's find a really weird thing to pronounce and we'll call it like that. Um, but yeah, uh, Dubsido is where I ended up. So, uh, I suppose I just want to kind of put it, put a pin in that conversation. I'm sure over the next few conversations, I'll kind of, uh, kind of open up a little bit more on that and maybe why, well, but I wanted to actually though. So I was at a, there's a, the person that I paid to set my Tave up for me is a, an amazing woman called Kate Brewer. She was a wedding photographer and she was using Tave as a wedding photographer. And then she started to lose her hearing and she went, I'm not going to be able to be a photographer anymore. And she started setting up other people's Tave for them. And she built that into a business. Now she randomly has her hearing back. Uh, so she could be a photographer if she wanted, but she's built this incredible business in, uh, Tave consultation. So that's what she does. And she actually just moved to New Zealand a few weeks ago. So we flew her to Melbourne, uh, last week to run a two day workshop for us. And it was amazing and brilliant. But what was really great was that there was a photographer in the group called Ian Sims, who's a great Melbourne photographer. And he's been using Tave since like, for six years or something since it was almost in beta. So very early days. He calls it Tave. He struggled really hard last week when we kept saying Tave. He was like, no, it's definitely Tave. <laughs> but he showed us how to kind of hack into a Zapier kind of using format. So, you know, oh, okay. this is the email, the thing, email yeah. thing. Exactly. So there's a, a, product that talks to Zapier, which is like an email parser, P-A-R-S-E-R. And basically you get Tave to send a whole bunch of information by email to this email parser and it throws that information into Zapier to then do whatever you want it to do, create a contact in your contacts page, create an invoice in QuickBooks or Zero or whatever you want to do. So I, under Ian's very calm and patient tutelage last week, along with Naomi Coralou, uh, figured out a way to automate that when a new person books, a new couple books me, uh, Tave automatically sends an email to the email parser with uh, their name, their phone number, the date of their wedding and the venue of their wedding. And then that makes Zapier create a contact in my Google contacts, which then uploads to my phone automatically. 
It's freaking awesome. So it's not perfect. It's obviously it's not as easy as just having Zapier integration right there and then, but it's a workaround for those of us who are too attached to Tave to move to something that does have Zapier integration. So it's a starting point. And there's also another uh, automations function in Tave that not many people use. And Ian thinks it can be hacked a bit to make it talk to Zapier even better than the email system. So he's working on that. I'm letting him work on that until he's sorted it out and then we'll get together again. So that's really cool. Uh, so, but I think it's going to be really interesting, uh, to hear how you go customizing Dubsado to the level that you, that your old, you know, cobbled together Josh system was customized. And I look forward to hearing how that works for you. So the uh, final topic for today's show is, um, this is a, this is one that we always talk about in OPD and we, you know, when you're doing your cert four and, and it's just not one that I've encountered. Well, actually I lie. I've, I've, I've encountered it early and we cut it off early, but it was a very simple, wasn't that dramatic, um, process, but, uh, do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So this is about consent and, Consent, as Josh said, is something that we talk about in OPD. It's a requirement. We know that couples, both parties have to give consent at all times up to and including while they are giving their legal vows. And if at any point we don't think they're consenting to the marriage, giving free consent, uh, we are obliged to not marry them. So it's something that comes up, you know, really Theoretically, we talk about it in terms of people being drunk or intoxicated and therefore not able to give proper consent. But something that doesn't come up a lot is, is people actually not consenting for various reasons. Uh, you know, they are actively saying, I don't really want to go through with this marriage. And it's really important for us as celebrants to know that our job is not all sweetness and light. Sometimes our job is tough. And sometimes we have to put on our big girl pants and go, I'm actually not going to marry you because I don't think you're giving consent. So I wanted to talk about a, a case that I came across last year when a celebrant from another state contacted me for some advice about how to deal with a, with a, a bride that she had. So the situation was that she was due to marry them in a few weeks and they were going to meet for their kind of final you know, run through meeting, sign the Don Lim, blah, blah, blah. And the bride rang her the night before the wedding, the night before the meeting and said, I just want to let you know that we're going through a difficult patch at the moment. Uh, the last, you know, I've discovered something about my groom that I'm not happy about. And uh, just in case you pick up any strange vibes in the meeting tomorrow, you know, I just wanted to let you know that we are actually having some trouble. And then she she gave the clangor, which was, I don't really actually want to go ahead with this wedding, but I don't feel like I can cancel it. So they were getting married earlier than planned because her mother was very sick. Her mother was also uh, from overseas, born overseas, and was from a culture where there was a lot of expectation around children getting married and, uh, you know, putting on a big celebration and a party and all that sort of thing and that the parents would be there to see it. So she said, I don't really want to go through with this marriage, but because I'm feeling a lot of pressure 
I, I don't feel like I could cancel it because too many people would be too disappointed. Mum would be really disappointed. She's invited all these people from overseas. It would make her look bad, etc., etc. So this celebrant rang me and said, uh, that's a massive red flag for me. She's literally said, I don't want to do this, but I don't feel I have any choice. Now that's called duress. It's called consent under duress. You're being, somebody's being forced to do something they don't want to do. So, uh, she made an appointment. She t- went to the meeting with them and she said, okay, I need to talk to you separately. So the first thing she did was sat with the bride on her own and she said, given the discussion we had last night and the fact that you told me that you don't really want to get married, I'm not prepared to do a legal ceremony uh, because, you know, it's really important that you are giving consent at all times and I don't feel you are and therefore I'm not, I'm not going to do it. The bride said, I am so relieved that I don't have to make this decision, that you are making the call for me. I'm so relieved that you've taken that burden off me. Again, big red flag, yeah? So they, uh, she said, the bride said that, you know, everything had been great, but then she'd found out this thing and they'd booked into counselling, but it wouldn't be until after the wedding and it was all a bit of a problem. And the celebrant said to her, I'm pretty sure you're getting married because you have to, because you feel you have to, not because you want to. And the bride agreed. So then the groom came into the room and he was very disappointed and said that, of course, he wanted to marry her and uh, that, you know, this was so terrible and it was all going to be okay. And the celebrant said to him, I'm happy to marry you legally down the track when the dust has settled and you've resolved your issues and everything, but I'm not prepared to do a legal ceremony in two weeks because clearly this is all uh, a real problem at the moment. She read them through the wording that, that explained that she would say at the ceremony, explaining that it wasn't a legal ceremony, and she asked them to confirm uh, whether they wanted to have a commitment ceremony. And the following day by email, the groom sent her an email and said, yes, we'd like to go ahead with the commitment ceremony. Meanwhile, this celebrant had, you know, had, some, had spoken to a, you know, a couple of other celebrants about that there was an issue she was going through, and a couple of other celebrants rang her and said, I've had a phone call from a groom who's looking for a celebrant to do a legal wedding in two weeks. I think it might be the same person. So this was all problematic. So that same day, this is the day after the meeting, the bride called and left a message on this celebrant's phone saying, we've been to, we managed to get an earlier appointment with the counselor. I understand now that the problem that I thought that I had just discovered isn't really a problem or, and he's getting counseling for it and it's all okay. And it's, and you know, I'd really want to go ahead with a legal wedding, but I understand that it's difficult for you and that you need to not get in trouble for it. I've spoken to the attorney general's department and I'm happy to sign a stat deck saying that we relinquish you of any legal responsibility, uh, for marrying us. If, you know, even if you don't think there's any consent all problematic to me, quite frankly. So the celebrant called the bride back and it, and she said, you know, she'd been to the therapy and bloody blah and all of that thing. And, and the celebrant said to her, none of what you've just told me has actually changed my mind. I don't think that you're giving consent. You told me, I don't want to go ahead with this wedding. 
I feel like I can't cancel it because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm so pleased that you're making the decision for me so that I don't have to worry about it anymore. So, uh, you know, the celebrant reminded her that none of those expectations from her family, none of the fact that her mum was really disappointed, none of that was a good enough reason for her to get legally married if she wasn't ready and that she, you know, really needed to consider doing a commitment ceremony and doing the legal wedding later down the track. Uh, and her, the bride's parting words to her will be, were, I will be so thankful to you down the track if we don't get through this and at least I can tell everyone that I tried. So again, red flags, just not ideal. So there was a bit of argy-bargy back and forth with the Attorney General's Department and eventually my my colleague, my celebrant colleague, said, I'm not doing it. They were determined to have a legal wedding and this celebrant went, I'm not prepared to do it, which was absolutely A, within her right and B, her obligation when she felt there was a real consent issue there. That's the end of the story. I don't know what happened to that couple. I don't know if they found someone else to marry them or if they had some kind of commitment ceremony or what happened. But I wanted to raise this as, uh, you know, a, a big issue. Consent is a massive issue because, you know, marriage does create a huge mess of legal implications in somebody's life. And if they're not ready for that, they shouldn't go through with it. But it is absolutely our right and our obligation to say, I'm not prepared to marry you because I don't believe you're consenting. And I think that we need, as celebrants, we actually need to pay attention to everything that our couples say. We need to pay attention to, uh, you know, anything that feels uncomfortable. Now, I know that, you know, often you'll get a groom in particular, it's, it's usually men who seem less interested and who seem, who are a bit, you know, more hands off and the bride has taken the lead with, with all the organizing and everything. I'm not saying here that those people are not consenting. Uh, but if somebody is giving you, is saying, I don't want to do this, you need to listen to that and you need to pick up and go, yeah, okay, I need to explore that a bit further. I had a consent issue myself last year. Uh, the groom was not just disinterested. He was openly hostile to me and to his partner. And I uh, I was concerned that there were domestic violence issues as well as lack of consent issues. And I had a, an offline conversation with him. I phoned him or he phoned me for various reasons. And I said to him, Right now, I'm not prepared to marry you because you don't look to me like you're consenting. You know, uh, you have to really convince me that you want to go through with this. Uh, and he did. He did manage to to say, this is why I want to get married and this is – I love her and you blah, blah, blah. He managed to say enough words to make me go, okay, I've ticked off my responsibility and he's telling me that he's consenting and I've given him every opportunity to turn around and go, I don't want to do this. And he's not ever once said that. He's just quite frankly, a bit of a jerk. Uh, and, you know, people get married for all sorts of different reasons and I can't say I'm not going to marry you just because I think he's a jerk. Uh, I can, however, say 
that person said, I don't want to get married, so I'm not going to marry them. So yeah, really that's all I wanted to say on it. I really just wanted to remind us, remind all celebrants that this is an important responsibility that we have and we do have to listen to those red flags if they come up. Yeah, absolutely. I've got nothing extra to add on that apart from like um, a high five to the celebrant for doing exactly um, as you or I would have done and just acting wisely. It's a, they, I, I guess that's why um, those those guidelines and the laws are in place to, to just protect people that are that might get married without actually wanting to get married. Absolutely. It's good. And I, you know, I was really proud of this celebrant for standing their ground and saying, I'm not going to do this because it's not right. And that, because, you know, it's very easy to get steamrolled by, by, you know, sweet talk and charming people and, you know, but I've, you know, what about the money? And it's very easy to fall prey to all of that. But this person really stood their ground and went, no, I don't believe that you're consenting. I'm not going through with it. And that's what, that's exactly what she should have done. So well, when I saw the conflict of interest um, changes come around last year, I was, and I saw the two groups that were excluded from this, which was the um, uh, being employed by a venue and the uh, migration agents, migration, migration agent. Yeah. Uh, that, like I thought, Clearly, like, of course, those are two where there's a heavy burden. Like, there would be a heavy burden on a celebrant. Okay, look, mate, just bloody marry them, won't you, okay? Mm. They've they've got 18 grand on the bar. Just make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I'm glad that we're free of that responsibility um, from, say, for an employed by a venue uh, because you need to be able to make decisions like this. And you know what? Maybe it costs you money. Like, maybe, maybe contractually – um, like hopefully your contract would protect you from this, but maybe, maybe you've got a refund, a you know, hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or whatever it is, but better than that than A, you end up in jail and B, one of them or both of them end up in a marriage they shouldn't be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we are in a profession where we could be, we could conceivably end up in jail for solemnizing a marriage like that. So we do have to, you know, listen to our, gut instinct about these things. It's really important. Well, Sarah, that sounds like a podcast. I think so. That was a very cheery note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, where do you go with this? It's so true. As always, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, uh, hello at celebrant.fm, if you have any questions at all. Uh, You can find previous episodes on the celebrant.institute webpage. Of course, our uh, podcast episodes are always free for your listening pleasure. And in your... uh, in your podcast app, any and all of the apps, they're all in there as well. I'll tell you a little bit. I, haven't, I don't think I've told you this, Sarah, but uh, if the old Celebrant.fm website for the last couple of months has redirected to Celebrant.institute, but now that that's all figured itself out, I've actually reinstituted, reinstituted Celebrant.fm as just a really play, really easy place to subscribe. Obviously, if you're already, if you've already listened to this, you probably subscribed, but maybe you're listening in your web browser, maybe you're listening on Facebook. God help me, if you've had Facebook open this whole time just to listen to your podcast, you are just a legend. That <laughs> <laughs> you have put all of that time aside, you are just. A, a living legend. So uh, if you actually visit the website, celebrant.fm, you can click subscribe and, and all the different podcasts, apps and links are there. So if you're on an Android, you can click the Android and if you're on all those things. So cool. celebrant.fm is actually a cool place to go as well. I love it. Awesome. Lovely chatting as always, Josh.